Hey everybody, let's uh, let's go ahead and get started. It's quarter to seven. Oh, well, that, that clock's not right, I don't think. Um, is this 6.44 on your watches? Something like that? Yeah. So, just want to uh, begin, and tonight we're going to be in building block four in your book. Um, if you don't have your book with you, you can go to SGC Dayton uh, Members and Regular Attenders Group on your phone or iPad or whatever, and uh, go under Resources, and you'll see it in there called just um, uh, Dynamics of Spiritual Transformation. It's a PDF. Um, yeah, I should have made more more books. I'll make some more for next week, and uh, um, so you can have hard copies. All right, let's pray. We'll dive in. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thanks for the food that we've eaten and for all that you provide us, Lord. You, uh, you are generous, and you don't leave us hungry. And you've given us this building we're thankful for, Lord, and thankful for providing everything for us. Thank you for uh, knowing our sorrows, knowing our struggles, knowing our joys, knowing us. And I pray that you would help us to grow in you tonight, help us to, help us to continue to uh, be nurtured and strengthened, each one of us, by the Spirit, by your Word, by these truths. And Lord, would you help us uh, tonight, in particular, grow just a, a little bit more um, in, in Christ-likeness and obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what I want to do, because it's been a while, is just want to kind of do a quick review of where we've been and, and then jump into Building Block 4. Um, so, uh, Caleb, if, if this starts ringing, can you just go back and turn, bring, bring me down a little bit? Yeah, just cut me off, that's right. Um, so we started with Building Block 4. The, the idea of this, back in the introduction, actually, is just the fact that there is a view of the Christian life that we have, that we want to have, is that we are being transformed into the image of Christ, we there is there is the privilege of being spiritually transformed. We have been born again. Um, that's in a moment regenerated. Uh, um, uh, yes, yes, yep. Thanks. Yep. Um, regenerated and justified and adopted. There's this beautiful reality that we will look at just a little bit uh, tonight. Um, it's just in passing, but the reality is that, that God is for us, and he is building us and strengthening us and growing us. And so he's not left us to ourselves just to kind of flounder, but there, he is working in us to transform us um, into Christ-likeness. This is the role of the Spirit in particular, but the Trinity is at work to grow us and change us, uh, to transform us. Um, and so the thing that we, if, if you have your books, or if you have the PDF, if you don't go to page two for a moment, there's, there's two different views of the Christian life. One is that there is from birth to the, the day that you gave your life to Jesus, there's the need for the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that he uh, died, he lived a uh, perfect life in our place, he died in our place, he was buried, he rose again, and we believe in him, we trust in him, and that's the point of salvation. And then you move from that moment of being born again into the 
this process of discipleship. And so it separates out the gospel and discipleship. And all we're trying to do is just say, hey, yeah, it is discipleship. It is becoming a disciple of Christ, but the gospel is needed all the way through the, whole, the rest of our life, not just at the beginning, not just by way of like finding out the information so that we might give our lives to Jesus, but um, the gospel is meant, and where we're going to go tonight, is meant to motivate us to uh, transformation, uh, motivate us into obedience, motivate us for a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And where, where we, um, the, the picture was this, this kind of um, building block kind of, kind of thing. So the building blocks were saying was building block 1 through 10, and the first one was the holiness of God. And so we talked a little bit about that a number of weeks ago and spoke about if we don't have an idea of who God is in his absolute holiness, separateness, he is, he is altogether other. He is the creator, not the created. We're the created. So it's just this, this distinction, this, this huge distinction. If we don't have that huge distinction, there's no need for the gospel. There's no really need for much of anything except we just live for ourselves. But if you have the idea from God's word and from within your own self as one who has been created in the image of God, you know that you exist. Deep down, you might suppress it. I'm not saying you, but we, we all at one point did suppress the truth, like Paul talks about in Romans 1. The, the truth that we've been brought alive to is recognizing who God is. And he's absolutely holy. And remember, we talked about his holiness being like the um, uh, abs- perfectly like like great and and good, um, perfectly amazing, like just 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 glorious. He's the creator, but he's not just the creator. He's holy. He's perfectly good, uh, pure. Um, Moral feels too small of a word, you know. It's just like he's per- absolutely perfect. And so for those who have been made in his image, but who have taken on the, you know, the, the stain of sin from Adam onward, including us today, right, and everyone in this world today, we are all under judgment because we have sinned against God's holiness. We have not... We have not been holy as he is holy. So he's, he's holy, and we might be really good, way super nice and, and helpful and, and like just the best person on the block or, or best person in the country. We might be Gandhi himself, right? And so like, like whatever kind of level of goodness is there, it's like, but, he, but even, even, even the best person doesn't reach to that, right, to his, God's holiness. So that's a problem. So, but, but, but if we don't know that, that building block number one, the holiness of God, then there's no need for the gospel. So we're saying, okay, start with the holiness of God, and we never depart from understanding the holiness of God. We will continue to grow in the understanding of the holiness of God, which will affect our understanding of our need for the gospel and understand how God is working in us to change us into, into his image, into the image of Christ. And so um, Austin taught on building block two, and that was the conviction of and repentance from sin. So when you see God's holiness, when, when the Lord opens your eyes, when you're no, more, no longer suppressing the truth in your own sin and putting that aside, the Spirit is opening our eyes, and this is the activity of, of God in us. No, n- not one of us... Um, now, one of us is alive spiritually to be able to open our eyes. We, we're alive or dead. 
We're, we're dead, right? We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're, we're, we're not alive. But Christ makes us alive. He, he, God makes us alive. He, he um, uh, kind of gets our heart, our spiritual heart beating and um, opens our eyes to see his glory. So we are, when we see his holiness, we're convicted. We are guilty as charged. We recognize that. And then there's another gift, and that gift of repentance. And God gives us the gift to, to repent, to turn from our sins, to turn from our unholiness and, and, uh, and our sin, and to turn to uh, Christ, to turn to God, trust, trusting him. So that repentance is like a turning away from something and turning to something. It's not just a turning away from something. It's a turning away, turning to, um, all in one, one thing. You're going somewhere. You're, you're looking somewhere. No longer are you looking for salvation in yourself or in whatever or not looking for salvation. Now you know you need to be saved and you turn to Christ who is the only truth. So, um, yeah, he opens your eyes. He, I think uh, uh, we talked a little bit about, and this is page, page nine, um, um, just we are growing in, into this. I said, what does it mean to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Um, none of us can fully plumb the depths of that commandment, but here are some obvious aspects. Your, your love to God transcends all other desires. You long to gaze upon his beauty. You rejoice in meditating on his word. You always delight to do his will. It's, it's the prob- there's, there's, a, there's a problem with all that because we don't do that, but what the Spirit's doing in us is giving us those desires increasingly. So that's what this whole study is about, is being transformed from one who does not give any sort of care in the world to God and to glorifying him to someone who very much wants to glorify him and wants to know the love of God and wants to follow him. Building block three was a daily embracing of the gospel. We spoke about the work of Christ, um, the fact that we have his righteousness. So, so that righteousness transferred to us, not just was our sin transferred to, to Jesus on the cross, but his perfection, his perfect record of obedience was transferred to us as well. So when we believe, um, ultimately our hope, this gospel hope, is all wrapped up in Jesus entirely. Um, uh, so you might remember if you were here the, the picture I gave this story of, of how like for a number of years I was a <coughs> pastor in Iowa and, and I remember teaching things like uh, things that are, that are true but just weren't, weren't fully uh, the picture so there was the whiteboard remember that illustration it was a whiteboard and, and this whiteboard was filled with all my sin and, um, and Jesus comes in and, and forgives me of everything. And that's, that's true, right? In God's word, it's true. He throws my sin as far as the east is from the west. Uh, all my sin's forgiven. So, so you're white as snow. Just all those spiritual um, colloquial terms. You know, just the, so you're white as snow, which is, which is absolutely true. And then, uh, and then, yes, and then live for God. So you live for God a little bit, but then you realize that, like, day one, hour one, uh, like, you, you sinned. And that's just the thing that you know that you, know you did. Um, this, that's not a sin of omission. That's a sin of commission, where you actually did something against God. Um, 
uh, entrusting yourself and not him. And then, but then there's the sins of omission where you just you're just not thinking about God. You're not loving Him with all your heart, soul, and mind. You're just things you should be doing, but you're not. And so you realize all of a sudden that that whiteboard is filling up with a bunch of a bunch more stuff that needs to be forgiven. And uh, and it's just defeating. And you live in that kind of thing. And so you go forward again at a, at a meeting or you, you, you say, Lord, I want to ask you into my heart again and, and, and change me. Lord, the, the desire is wonderful, but the reality is just handcuffs. It's like you're wearing spiritual handcuffs. There's no freedom there. It's, it's, all, it's all just your work trying to do stuff. And so you, you're still trying to somehow get right with God by yourself. But what the gospel teaches us uh, in particular um, isn't just that. It's not it's just as if I'd never sinned. It's also just as if I'd always obeyed. So that transfer of Christ's righteousness to us, that whiteboard, when we come to faith in him, that whiteboard is not filled up with our, not, it's not just white for us to add our works to, it's filled up with all of Christ's righteous works. Um, he did everything perfectly. He never had a, uh, there was, so, so his life, his perfect life is a big deal. Um, not just to be a spotless lamb, but that his record of perfect righteousness would be given to us. And so when you realize that, you know, I'm right with God, I'm, I've been made right with God, I've been declared righteous, justified, um, I've been declared righteous not because my bo- the whiteboard is empty and, I'm, and it's clean, um, it's filled with all of Christ's righteous works in my place. So when he did such and such that was right and good and pure and moral and holy, absolutely holy, as God, as a man, that was transferred to me. And, um, you know, so whatever, 13 years into pastoral ministry, it's like, I believed that. I think I kind of believed that before, but it was like, to whatever extent I didn't, and, and really it was like the, the, hand, the chains fell off, and I was free. I, I, I was born again before that, but I just think I was held, held, in, held in whatever bondage that I was involved in with, with trying to earn my way somehow, trusting in Jesus, knowing I needed to help in Jesus, but not living in the freedom of actually um, embracing the gospel every day. So embrace so the gospel picture, if you can picture that whiteboard, embracing the gospel is like recognizing every single day I have all of Christ's righteousness. That's, that's, all my hope is wrapped up in Christ. Um, when my dad died last summer, it was, it was like he didn't have in those last number of months, really didn't have... Um, didn't talk about heaven, didn't, didn't, uh, wasn't finding any joy in anything. Um, he was somewhat angry, bitter, because mom's in the care center, um, and, uh, everything he knew was gone. Not gone, but, but, you know, there in front of him, actually taunting him always. So he, he was not real enjoyable the last year, especially. Um, and so when he, before he passed, I was just asking the Lord, Lord, does, does dad, you know, I just pray that you, you are merciful with him, that he's believed enough or believed whatever. And I realized that what I was doing was I was putting, I was, I was putting dad on the whiteboard and that he needed to somehow not be angry with God 
for those last couple of years where mom has dementia and whatever and his house taken from him and all that and um, a car accident so he has to stop driving and he couldn't see and he just uh, one thing after another and I realized that I started evaluating dad not based on Christ's righteousness not based on what he had said stated he believed in but that dad wasn't like living for the Lord in these last hours and so I was crying out to the Lord one night uh, after he died and uh, um, I just said pretty much I said your grace better be true um, and his hope wasn't dad's hope wasn't any more um, in danger because he was struggling in those last years but it was like fully fully there because of Christ um, and that's that's hope that's hopeful my hope today that if I were to die in this moment isn't that I lived a good life but because I have all of Christ's righteous record of obedience do I believe enough probably not um, certainly don't live perfectly but desire to live well desire to grow but here's where I always go to Jesus is who he says he is real person in history who communicated that he was the son of God the great I am and there's so much more to this right but it's like that's who he said he is and he died and he rose again and what he accomplished in my place is what I believe um, entirely entirely and, and that's every day it's not like I'm thinking about that every day what I'm wanting to get to is really like we have the opportunity to think about that all the time to let that inform why we live the way we do motivate us to live um, a godly life motivate us to walk in obedience walking in obedience is a super super important thing if you love me you will what obey me it was like it's clear um, that we must obey but we don't obey we, we don't get saved because of our obedience we get saved because the object of our hope the object of our faith which is Christ and he perfectly obeyed with that said we have been adopted and we have been brought into his family and now we are being motivated to grow um, to be transformed so we're in building block four motivation of the gospel um, Romans 5 20 through 62 at the top of that page says now the law came in to increase the trespass but where sin increased grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? If we have all of Christ's righteousness, then why do I need to do anything? Well, Paul says, look, stop being an idiot. You know, don't, you don't, don't, we don't do, we're not walking down that road. By no means. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So, the reality is we have all of Christ's righteousness, and that somehow is meant to motivate us to obey to walk in obedience and not just let it let it go and live licentiously. Uh, 
Uh, Paul's hypothetical question about a righteous standing in Christ is often the concern of many sincere believers. Well, if we, if we say this, if we say that we have all the righteousness of Christ, then, then yeah, why, why would, what, what is it that actually motivates anybody to obey? To, to, is, it, is it just trying to embrace, or trying to get them to fear something, or, or uh, like, kind of make them feel like endangered, or, or whatever? Um, our, our worry, our concern is that they would abuse the truth of the gospel, the truth of, of the received righteousness of Christ and, and forgiveness, and somehow abuse that and just like disregard it. So two thoughts or responses. Um, we looked at the reality in, the, in past weeks of uh, those who are truly born again, those who, who have actually had their heart changed, regenerated, come to life. So, so someone who says, well, now I have Christ's righteousness, and now I can live however I want, um, would, I, I can't be the absolute judge of this, but that would seem to indicate that their heart's not regenerated. Um, because it sounds a lot like the world. It sounds a lot like a dead a dead spiritually dead person. So there's a fundamental change that happens that uh, in our life that does not allow us to just be casual towards sin. Um, and God also uses an appeal, this is number two, God also uses an appeal to a conscious motivation and the appeal he uses is the gospel. So there is primarily that. There are other motivations that are at work. I'm just going to make an argument that all those other motivations that are in God's word all stem from the gospel. Now they're true because of the gospel. So the gospel to Isaiah, we talked about this in the holiness, of, the holiness of God section and the second chapter, the second building block as well. But we know what happened to Isaiah, right? He's, he's devastated over his sinfulness. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then verses 6 and 7 says that the seraphim flew to him, having in his hand a burning coal <coughs> that he took with tongues <coughs> excuse me, from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Oh, just, just real, real quick. What, uh, what, is, what is this pointing to? Pointing to forgiveness, right? Pointing, but, but like this is pre, this is 600 some years prior to Christ. How is he, how is this, how is this sin atoned for? How is this sin paid for? By a, by, a, by a burning coal. Um, he's a man of unclean lips. It's a picture, right? He's, he, he realizes he's a man of unclean lips. So, so the coal cauterizes his lips, cauterizes it, makes, makes holy. His sins atoned for. And there's a reality of just like our, just like our sin today um, is atoned for by an action from the past, there's a reality that also is is forward-looking when Christ would, his sin was atoned for by the blood of Christ, uh, by the sacrifice of Christ as well. Anyway, so his point is he's guilty, feels guilty, and, and overcome by it, and here um, he is given forgiveness, and uh, he, his sin is atoned for. Isaiah says, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Uh, the Lord, sorry, the Lord said, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. So immediately after receiving um, this assurance that sins are forgiven, he heard the voice of God, whom will I send? And, and he responds uh, favorably. Here, here I am, I'll, I'll go. It can be summed up in four words, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, it's the next page, 22. One, Isaiah saw God in his holiness. So building block number one. Um, 
Number two, being made aware of our guilt before holy God. It's the reality of, of like having your eyes open to see. So there's, there's God, there's, then there's the guilt that comes, and then being told and given faith to believe the gospel. This reality of gospel truth, of, the atone, of being atoned, being forgiven, and been, uh, having our sins atoned for. <coughs> and then there's expressing the appropriate gratitude and a, a desire to honor God with your life. To say, here I am, I'll, like, I'll go, I'll gladly go. Think about the sinful woman. We won't take time to read all that, but the sinful woman um, comes in, right, and and um, she she weeps on his feet and washes her feet and washes his feet and and uh, kisses him and stuff and and so the Pharisees are are uh, or the the religious the Jewish guys are just like angry, um, and Jesus says. Uh, a certain money lender had two debtors. This is halfway through. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Which, when, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Which of them will love more? will be the one who recognizes they have sinned more. So the more we look at the holiness of God, the more we see our sin, the more amazed we are by the gospel. This lady in particular, in the bold area, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And it's not as though anybody is forgiven little as compared to another person. We're all forgiven much. It, the recognition is who, who, who is aware of how much we've been forgiven except for the one who understands the holiness of God and you really have a good, act, good understanding of your own life. Sins of commission, sins of omission, all of that. So when we look at the holiness of God and we see that and we are aware of our guilt before holy God and we're told the gospel, the gospel is meant to set our hearts on fire, you know? Um, free us and to help us walk in faith. Um, so on one hand, you got Isaiah, part of the elite in Judean society, and then you got this woman who is not so elite, and upon receiving the gospel grace, expressed what was simply appropriate, lives given over to God. They were given the gospel, given the reality of forgiveness and all that, and they just were like, uh, 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 like she was willing to do whatever, make a fool of herself in front of a bunch of people, in front of a handful of people anyway, and then, um, but not really a fool, right? Um, you guys are all familiar with the I surrender all, but the, that reality of like when you when you hear, when you see God's holiness, and you you get you understand, you understand who you are, where you where you were, um, who you once were. You think about um, um, think about any of the passages in the Bible where it says, "But you were once this." When we think about that, it's meant to motivate us to thankfulness and to, to a Godward life, um, to relational growth, to obedience. And so I would mention, I would um, imagine the most everybody in this room, if not everybody, wants to obey God. Um, that, that's, that's an evidence of God's grace in you. What's going to motivate you, what's going to motivate me to walk in obedience to God? Um, that's the question. So, lives are transformed by the gospel when one is motivated to a life of thankful surrender on account of the gospel. All to Jesus, I surrender. It's not just a song. It's like a, it's a cry of the heart. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to him. 
all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Just that, just that I want to live for Him. Um, so walk, living in being constrained by love. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.14, this, this was a huge change for me as well. Reading this, for the life of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. That's the ESV. The New American Standard and, and possibly some other ones says, for the life of Christ constrains us. Um, and both, both are great words. Uh, uh, they have a little bit of a different picture, though, of controlling, constraining. Constraining, I like in particular because of the picture of, um, of like, uh, like to a toothpaste tube. When, when you take the cap off, when you put your hand around it and you squeeze, it's, it's being constrained. It's, it's, so, and the, the toothpaste doesn't have, to, doesn't have to try to come out itself. It's, it's being squeezed and toothpaste comes out. It's being constrained. In this, in this case, it is the love of Christ that constrains us. It's the love of Christ that causes us to walk in obedience to him um, uh, at, the, at, at, the, at the core. Um, it is meant to be a motivator, the love of Christ. Um, think about the mercies of God in Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship, or which is your spiritual worship. And how is he meant to do that? How is he meant to offer his body as a living sacrifice, to walk in obedience, to continue to walk in holiness, to grow in holiness? Well, it's, it's by the mercies of God. And mercies, not just mercy, but the mercies of God. But the, but the truth of the matter is that we are called to present our bodies by the mercy, living sacrifices by the mercies of God, on account of the mercies of God. Um, hearts of not just thankfulness, but hearts of, hearts of surrender, um, a, grateful, a grateful surrender. So the gospel is the only proper, only effective, most foundational motivator for a life of worshipful sacrifice. I'll share a little bit more with you about that in a moment. Consider Ephesians 3. It's my, I think this is probably my favorite passage in the Bible. Uh, Ephesians 3, verses 14 and following. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family on earth uh, in heaven and on earth is named, and according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So there's a lot there, right? The Holy Spirit would be alive and a work in your heart that you would walk in him, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. This is being transformed spiritually. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I'm going to ask, ask you uh, to answer a question a little bit later based on that specific verse. Um, but, uh, but that verse to me is like significantly important. The, the reality of being changed, having Christ dwell in my heart through faith that I, would, that I would know, that I would walk in knowing and living in the love of Christ, in the, in the, in the riches of the love of Christ, um, in all its breath, that I would be filled with all the fullness of God. Um, it seems like that spiritual transformation, being, being filled with all the fullness of God. The expulsive power of a new affection. Um, 
prior to really understanding the freeing nature um, of the good news of Jesus Christ, we, we considered the Christian life to be one of knowing what we should do, um, knowing the moral will of God, so we need to follow him, follow his will, which is good, um, but also having our affections as the opposite pressure and resulting in a spiritual battle. So you know what you have to do, you know what you need to do as a Christian, but you've got your flesh. And so there's this warfare, there's this fight, and, and then you have this fight, and sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. You just kind of left, left to yourself in some way. That's, that's kind of the, the old way of our thinking, is, is a, a way that I want to steer us away from, at least, that you got the knowledge of the moral will of God, the picture is at the bottom of old, the old paradigm, and then there's the affections, what I want to do, and ultimately you're going to do what you want to do. You're going to do, as some other people would say, what is, um, and God's word says, what actually is alive in your heart. What's what the, what that, what you, what you love. Consider what we're talking about together tonight. Um, not, not only do we know what we should do, knowing the moral will of God, but you have a very real and growing knowledge of the gospel. So that this is like we're singing about the gospel, the, the, the good news of Jesus Christ, specifically that while you're a sinner, Christ died for you, <coughs> that, <coughs> excuse me, that though you deserve judgment, you receive mercy, that though you were the enemy, God demonstrated, though, though you were his enemy, God demonstrated his love for you in dying for you in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And you think about all that he has done, um, you have a growing recognition of God's work in, in, uh, that's prior to our salvation, in our election, in our calling, in our regeneration, in our conversion, in our justification, and in our adoption. And each one of those things is like worthy of, of, a, of, of weeks of conversation, discussion, and study. But the reality is like we are here today on account of all of God's work, which, which to me doesn't just simply culminate in justification or glorification, but, but doesn't, doesn't, like justification isn't the, isn't the, uh, the linchpin that I want to look at tonight in particular. The linchpin for, a, for, for spiritual transformation, for motivation is adoption, I think. Knowing that we are loved by the Father and accepted in the Beloved as his sons and daughters. Now certainly, we are not adopted outside of justification. We're not justified outside of regeneration. We're not regenerated outside of calling and election. We're, we're all of these things are like an orderly kind of thing, the way that God has saved us. And so as we grow in knowing that and understanding and diving into that more and more and more, I think that it's being rooted and grounded in love. That, that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth height but height, length, and width of, of the love of Christ, which surpasses everything, and, and that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. So, so now there's this new paradigm in us that we want to be able to, we want to follow him. I've got two illustrations. One, one uh, was in the old paradigm, and that is someone's angry with you, says angry words, and, you know, in ourselves, we, we know that we should not respond in anger, but we want to respond in anger. Like we feel the fight, right? So there's a fight inside of us. And so we, um, we know that we should forgive them for their angry words, but instead, I mean, every marital fight is, is like this. Every, every marital argument, every, every, you know, we argue and we fight because there are things, that are, there's desires, right, that we have. This, that's, the, that's the reality. And, and so nothing 
motiv motivates us except, uh, ex in, in this case, except like the moral will of God. We know what's the right thing to do, but we're in this fight and it's just like, ah, it's so hard. And then, you know, you yell at somebody or, or you don't forgive them or you're, you're bitter towards them. And so you just kind of sitting there. Sometimes you succeed um, and you walk in obedience. Other times you don't. And, and you come around afterwards and ask for forgiveness and all that. That's, that's a, that, that I think is just like a normal, a normal kind of thing, but I don't think it's, it's, it's not what we're talking about. We're, we're wanting to be motivated by the gospel. So the paradigm changes to this knowledge of the moral will of God. We know the moral will of God, but because of the gospel, because of God's work in us, in electing us, um, calling us, regenerating us, justifying us, adopting us, making us, is making us his own, um, there's, there's these, there's, that, that stuff's really true, that our affections have been changed, or changing, they're changing, so, so there's a reality of our, we have godly desires, there's still a battle going on, but, but what is it that's going to cause you to actually forgive somebody, for instance, when they speak badly or harshly or do something against you? Where I think an example is, is, is the, the, um, uh, the unforgiving servant uh, parable. There's, there's two guys. Well, one guy in particular, he goes in, he owes, he owes the king like millions of dollars. And the king um, says, you know, you're going to be uh, penalized, you're going to be put in, put in jail, put in prison. And he pleads for mercy. And the king forgives him entirely and sends him on his way. His debt forgiven, totally forgiven. Um, and then he goes out, sees a guy who owes him like 10 bucks, and, and he um, demands the money and does not give mercy he ends up, he ends up uh, failing, failing the, the story, right? Failing the test, and he ends up getting in prison because he didn't catch it. The, the story, the storyline of that, the, the story there is, is that the man didn't understand the mercy that he had received from the king, so he didn't extend it to someone else. But like, so in our relationships, when someone sins against us, where do we go to obey? Well, I just shouldn't, I shouldn't yell back. It's true. I shouldn't, uh, uh, this is such a fight, I shouldn't, or, or um, uh, where we can go, though, is we can say, you know, Lord, I don't want to fight back, I, I, want, to, I want to fight back so bad, I need to take a break here, and I, got, I need to understand, I need to understand how much I've been forgiven, and, and if, if you can forgive me everything that I've done, everything I know, everything I don't know, then, then I can, in turn, forgive the other person. doesn't mean that there's not consequences. doesn't mean there's not things that you have to work through. doesn't mean there's not forgiveness that needs to be stated, all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying that motivation to actually not walk in a, some sort of sinful manner, um, uh, you, you, can, you can be motivated by the good news of Jesus Christ, um, that you know the love of Christ. You know how much you've been forgiven, and so you can share that with other people. Um, Jesus talked about the uh, servant who just continues to uh, forgive and 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 um, and he does he 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 it's like he must do so because um, because of the forgiveness that we've received, not just because you need to forgive. Um, it's because you've been forgiven much, so forgive much. And it's a motivator. The first debtor was given so much, but he didn't get it very well. And um, you can see that he didn't in the way that he dealt with someone who owed him so little in comparison. 
So the effect of the extensive grace and mercy that we've received in the gospel when rightly understood will motivate us to a life of transformation, a transformation that's not compelled by duty alone, but compelled by the grace and love of God shown to us in the realities of the gospel. Duty-driven obedience is, is still obedience. It's, it's a, there's a reality that sometimes we, we just walk in obedience. We don't, feel, we, don't, we don't feel the gospel. We don't, we don't feel joy in the gospel. We still need to walk in, in obedience. We still need to um, obey. Um, but but duty-driven um, I mean, we, do we not want to be motivated by the love of Christ, by, by the fact that like, his love constraining us to walk in holiness? His love, like knowing how much we've been loved and how we've been brought into a right relationship with God. Um, all these, and he's keeping us. Then the first Peter, uh, chapter one, where he's just all these promises of God forgiving us and God calling us to Himself and saving us, making us born again, and He's He's keeping things in heaven for us. And He's even though we're walking through difficulty right now and there's trials, there's joy unspeakable to be had because we can trust and know that we are loved and we are for, we are forgiven and nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so we walk in obedience to Him, not just simply out of gratitude but because our hearts have been changed and our hearts are so thankful and humble um, in increasingly. I, th I think um, uh, a number of people think this. And I, I, um, it, is a, it, is a, it is a work. It is something that we, we want to obey God and it's hard, it's hard work. Sometimes, oftentimes. So, what I want to encourage us towards is that, is that while you are walking in dutiful obedience, and and you don't feel your heart connecting with God, the answer isn't just to keep walking in dutiful obedience. The answer is to look to Christ. To, to, to look to him, to, to look at all of this, what we've been talking about, the holiness of God and, and, the, and the reality that Christ has come, that we've been forgiven. So the love of Christ begins to constrain you more and more and more. Um, we want to grow to be, like, to be like him, and this is how he does that by the Spirit, by the mercies of God, to be overwhelmed by the good news of Jesus to sinners like you and I. Um, So I want, to, I want you to ask two questions in your small groups. Um, what is it that motivates you to obey God currently? What is it that motivates you to obey God currently? And then secondly, consider Ephesians 3, 14 and following, and, and consider what the practical outcome of that prayer would be. So if you began to pray that prayer, for one another, what would the practical outcome be? Does that make sense? So two questions. What is it that motivates you to obey God currently? There might be a number of things. I'm not saying there's other, not other motivations that, that, that are helpful. I'm just saying I think, I think a base motivation, a foundation, the foundational motivation is the gospel. Because rewards in heaven are a motivation. E easy. That's biblical. Um, uh, but why? Why is that true? I'd say, well, it's true because of the love of Christ. 
So what is it that motivates you to obey God currently? Um, and then secondly, consider Ephesians 3, 14 and following, and consider together what the practical outcome of this prayer would be if you prayed it for one another. That make sense? All right, go ahead and break up into small groups, and you got about 20 minutes to talk through that. If, if you are parents and need to pick up your kids, otherwise you're welcome to stick around until 8.